What's going on, guys? Welcome to It Is What It Is, episode 30 of the News and Current Affairs podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. I'm your host, John O'Peck, replacing Jack Cruz, who's enjoying a much-needed holiday. And we are joined by ABC News reporter, published author, and film critic, it's Matt Neal. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Jono. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I, I left off a good friend of, of mine and former, former, former co-host of uh, your colleague and co-host of the Super Terrific Happy Hour, the podcast that started it all. Yes. How long, how long ago has it been since we podcasted together? Uh, I mean, I had you on putting in work last oh, that, yeah, start true. of last year, but otherwise it was uh, 2015, I think, that we wrapped up episode wow. 80 of uh, the Happy Hour podcast, which... Time flies. It does. So that that was a pop culture podcast we did as reporters with Fairfax back in the day, but we somehow, uh, yeah, we somehow managed to be paid to talk about <laughs> movies and TV shows and music for a good chunk of our work week, but... Uh, yeah, up, right up until they figured out what we were doing. And yeah, they started to stop <laughs> until they figured out that we were taking a lot longer than they originally said we could take to do it. But uh, good times, and it was worth it. Pa- paved the way for what, maybe what we're doing now in some ways. So, yeah. how's things over at the ABC? Uh, things are fantastic. Yeah, They're, it's good. It's, it's it's a good, very good place to work. Very helpful, yeah. friendly people. So yeah, <laughs> that's you're, great. You're, and. Your three cents a day is going good to good things. Oh, good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So, for our listeners, they won't be familiar with you, I assume, unless they are dedicated putting in work listeners. So, let's hear a little bit about uh, your background, politically, all that kind of stuff, so that people know what they're getting into as we get through this week's news headlines. Uh, that's Okay. Uh, so, I've been a journalist for 17 years, maybe 18 yep. now. Uh, and that's a yeah. long time. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I've written a book. I'm a musician, film critic, all those things. Rotten um, Tomatoes certified film critic. Certif- yes, certified. I'm I'm legit. I'm uh, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, all those things. What else did you want to know? <laughs> uh, politics. Have you got a, a stance, or do you claim to be uh, neutral as a, as a good journalist should? <laughs> yeah. Um. I have I have my own opinions, obviously, um, but uh, I, th- I th- you're a left wing pinko. Oh look, I, I, I probably <laughs> look. I probably lean a little to the left, but I yeah. mean th- this. Uh, I as all good journalists, we put that aside when we do our work, yes. and uh, yeah, hopefully I'm going to just analyze things more than than express my opinions. Yeah, in this. that's good. That's how it should be. I think. Like I, think I, so. I get into some discussions about this recently because. The video game industry that I'm, you know, quite, uh, you know, an ardent follower of. I'm a, yeah, I'm a follower, and it's very left. Like it's almost completely left in terms of the people reporting and writing opinion pieces. And there's particular websites that don't try to hide that at all. And I've had these conversations where, like, as a former reporter, I'm like, there would be no one that reads any of my pieces that knows what my views are. But it's bleeding obvious with. With most games coverage, where that person's coming from, I think, and and I think that's a, an issue for a lot of people. Yeah, I do wonder about that. I mean, it doesn't come into my reporting at all, except the only place I worry where it might actually seep in is in film reviewing because that is so opinionated. Mm. Yeah, um, and you're trying to come from a, a place of you know an educated point of view and of having studied the medium for a long time, um, but because it is. You know, as much as it's analysis, your opinion does kind of seep into it a little bit. So maybe that's mm. one place where it comes through, but try not to. Yeah. It's hard not to let your views shape your 
interpretation of a, a film i guess even if yeah even if it's something that uh it might have some themes or things you that you disagree with you're still going to take it on its objective merits as much as possible because it's not possible to be completely objective in any sense i think no and i and i have given i'm, I'm proud of the fact i've given good reviews to movies i've generally disliked but i can see that they're doing right. something that appeals to a particular people and, it, and it, a film achieves its goals of what it's trying to do so yeah high school musical two <laughs> no uh, i'm trying to think of what i think um probably Mum, the first Mamma mia i really right. didn't enjoy but i know that it was hitting it out of the ballpark for a yeah. lot of people so oh man i haven't had to go see the second one i think i might have dodged the bullet there the onion had such a great um take on on that on, a, on an AV Club review of that movie, where it was like just just enjoy the movie, like you don't have to analyze it like it's high art. It's it's Mamma Mia musical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certain standards we have to hold things to. I think if it's going to be released, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about film uh, in, in this uh, soon, which this will probably mm. come into to play about uh, you know the standards of of a film and and when you release a film, there's a certain level of expectation that comes in. You can't just put any old crap out there and not expect mm. it to fly, um, and that's why. That we used to have the straight to DVD system, which I don't know. We don't have. Well, let's get straight to streaming. Bring now. it back. <laughs> well, you know, there used to be a sign of something at least. You knew what you were getting yourself into if something went straight mm. to DVD. Now you can't tell if something goes straight to streaming. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing because you know Netflix is making some really cool stuff mm. and all these other streaming services. So maybe we need to bring that back. We need straight to DVD to come back. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, let's get into the rapid fire news headlines. Rapid fire. So to begin with, we've got uh, old mate Alan Jones, who in his time slot is the most listened to broadcaster in Sydney, Australia's largest city. And he kicked up a bit of a, a stink with his uh, completely insensitive racial uh, slurs this week. He said the N-word in the woodpile here, if one can use that expression. Uh, which one can't <laughs> which one can't okay. and, and i'm not apologized. going to yeah he has since kind of apologized and but uh even before he'd finished his um you know his rant which was about the uh, liberal spill that we'll get into later he said i'm not going to yield to people who tell us that certain words in the language are forbidden like that's pretty much just saying you can't tell me what's acceptable what words are insensitive and, and racist what was your like is, is this yeah we 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 had a, we had a, we did a, a whole podcast on this back when we were at Fairfax, didn't we? About particularly about the use of the N word. I think it kind of did we a lot of it boiled that. down to. I I remember it, and I've actually I oh was it are slightly, we too politically correct or something? Was it that topic? I think so. Yeah, that, I think yeah. that might have been the topic, and we we touched on that a lot of bit a little bit. And um, I think I've I've changed my opinion since then. I think I thought then that maybe I think you can still use that word in in context. Like and the example at the time was the South Park episode where they have the N word guys, which is a right. great play on what that word means and why it is so harmful. And they use that word quite a lot to you know as a as a, a satirical point. Um, but yeah, what Alan Jones has done is just is the is a good example of why we don't use that word and why we shouldn't use that word. Hmm. Um, and as much as I, I, I dislike the idea of being told you shouldn't, shouldn't say certain things, well, there's a reason for it. And, and in, this is one of those, this is the, the example that, the exception that proves the rule, I guess, in that. that yeah. You know, and it's not, to, we, go ahead. Sorry. We, we have to have limits on, on 
you know, free, free speech comes with limits be, because it can be incredibly harmful. Mm-hmm. And use a phrase like he used is just so outdated. And what it, what that phrase means and why yeah. that phrase exists in the first place is just horribly wrong. Yeah. And it, it goes back to people who aren't familiar. It goes back to like slave ships or something where the, you know, slave or whatever was hiding amongst the wood pile to, you know, escape or something like that. It's, it's got a... Yeah, an origin that goes right back to the like the worst time in history for for those people. Yeah, um, and, and it's no, it's no surprise that Alan Jones is a seventy seven year old white man after you you go through all this as well, and someone that probably isn't used to being told he can't say something. Well, I mean, and to be fair, he's I mean, you said before he's the most popular guy in his time slot in Sydney, uh, and he is very much to the right uh, and has built a career on on saying often outrageous and mm. um, occasionally horrible things. I mean, He's it, used it, this expression as well before. It's on the, he said this in 2012, I think, talking yeah. about Malcolm Turnbull. So, so he uh, is, I mean, and he, he's been in trouble before about um, some of his, his, his claim that uh, climate change uh, doesn't exist on his show and got pulled up for that. So, you know, that's the audience he, he's hitting into is people who probably aren't that concerned about him a, a using the n-word or b saying that climate change isn't a thing or mm. uh or you know he used to have um former prime minister tony abbott on his show with uh just uh more regularly than any other radio show at the time um he was a big champion of abbott and that's why he's um he was expressing some opinions there about i think <laughs> about uh Turnbull, as you said there in the past, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it's Jones who said mm, this. Yeah. And do you think that, like, is he just going to get away with this or will there be repercussions? People well, are calling for him to get sacked, of course, but... Uh, I, there's no way that 2GB will sack him yeah. because he is the goose laying the golden egg for that station a lot of the time. Like, he is the, one of their big draw cards um, among a, a whole range of a fairly right-wing commentators that they have. Uh, this is this is what he does. This is his um, stock in trade as a, as a as a DJ. I mean, mm. he's not gonna he's not gonna get in, in serious trouble for this. It's just what he does. It'll, it'll be water off a duck's back to him. Yeah, and I think there will be a time where it's not acceptable. Well, it shouldn't be acceptable now, but no, there, won't be any, there won't be anyone that finds it acceptable, and people like that just won't have a place in uh, the media. I think so. We'll look forward to that. It's well. I mean, it's always they as much as they're. There needs to be a balance in the in the media, and there will always be publications that, or media outlets that lean a little to the left, and be some that lean a little to the right. Yeah. and that's 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 how it should that's be. That's fine. That's how. Yeah, yeah. but um, you know, the things like um, I think the press council is the one that enforces this kind of stuff. That they could fine him and fine two GB. Is that going to change anything? I mean, he's as far as I understand, he's a fairly wealthy man. I can't imagine that a fine is going to have a huge impact mm. on him. So, uh, things will continue on, probably. Yes. The next headline is uh, Kelly Marie Tran, our friend from Star Wars Episode Eight, who played Rose. And she famously departed, I think, Instagram and probably other social media uh, platforms earlier this year due to a slew of abuse that came her way from fans who I guess they just didn't like her character. They didn't like the story arc she was involved in and proceeded to treat her incredibly terribly uh because of that and 
she kind of, I guess, went into hiding in some ways, but has come out with a opinion piece in the New York Times. I think she was in Vanity Fair or a magazine like that and has kind of stood tall and stood proud and said, hey, this is who I am uh, and has talked about growing up with uh, racial taunts and being ashamed of uh, her background, I guess, to some degree and changing her name to westernize it and now standing up and saying, no, my name is actually, is it Loan or Lone? Loan, Tran? yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a, a really a strong message that she's sending there that the bullies won't get to her. And I guess as uh, probably the biggest Star Wars fan that I know, what was, uh, what's was what been your read on this issue and I guess the shame that the Star Wars crazies have uh, brought out onto the, the good-natured Star Wars fans? Well, yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's just, it's... It made me feel embarrassed to be a Star Wars fan, a lot of it. Like, it's just absolutely abhorrent, the the treatment that she received. And, you know, f- fair enough, if you don't like The Last Jedi and you don't like her character and you don't like the plot or whatever, that's fine and you can express that opinion, but um, you can do it in a measured way and you can not make it a personal attack against someone who is just playing a role, you know, she didn't write that role, she didn't mm. direct that role, she just inhabited it. The, Who's going to knock it back as, as well? Like, it well, could have yeah. been any number of people that, that were accepted into that position. I imagine nowadays there's a pretty small list of people who turn down being in a Star Wars film. But just, yeah, the response was completely just disgusting and over the top and just sounded like a bunch of whiny man-children sooking mm. about, you know... Because someone broke their toy or whatever. I'm like, it's just, <laughs> it was just hideous. Um, Kelly Marie Tran's article and her, her piece that she wrote in the New York Times is really well written. And it gives a really good, um, it helps to give you a good understanding of what, I mean, for, you know, guys like us who are just, you know, white guys who have never had to go through any of these kind of things. It gives you a better understanding of it. And I would like to think that some people read this and go, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand Mm. why this was so hurtful and and hateful. And, you know, and so much of this criticism was quite obviously people being flat out racist and just hiding behind film criticism. It quite obviously was that. So the, I think this piece was really good. It gave, it gave us, it gives us an insight into that kind of otherness that, that, people of color feel hmm. in a, a society that is that is predominantly white and driven by a media that's predominantly white and a filmmaking you know um hollywood is predominantly white or you know so yeah and male i mean that's that's the, the other part of this too so i just yeah I, I i think her piece is great and the support that came from like people like mark hamill and ryan johnson and john boyega when um it was all happening. So a lot, a lot of that was going on on Twitter. And I thought the things that they said were, were great and powerful. But to hear it from uh, Kelly Marie herself, that really means something. Hmm. And I guess it shows that she's not going anywhere. She's not going to let this get to her. And she um, has a long career ahead of her, hopefully. Yeah, and well, she shouldn't. And yeah, all the more power to her. So hmm. uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a good yeah. piece. It is. And I think with, you know, Black pa- sorry, Black Panther was such a huge moment with a lot of the like African American community, and earlier this year, I remember like that was kind of had a, a cultural um, hype that just 
took off because people were being represented in a movie like this for the first time. And I think where I'm going with this is that Crazy Rich Asians seems to have had a similar swell where uh, a lot of Asian Americans have really got excited about what they're able to to go to the movies and see on the screen. And the timing with her coming up with this article, I think it's, it's really awesome to see just um, people who identify with both that film and her story being able to stand up proud and uh, just you know, embrace what, the, what they are and, and who they are. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I am worried that the, uh, the groundswell of stuff behind like Black Panther and um, Crazy Rich Asians is, uh, I'm worried that it's going to be just stuck in those films, that it won't become, it won't extend out of that into other films. You know, like if we see, um, you know, like uh, films that aren't just focused on that sort of that racial element, just your everyday other, I don't know, action films, comedy films, horror sure. films. Are they going to start having more Asian leads, more a- African American leads? If so, then that's good, and that's the the response that needs to come out of this. But I feel like, you know, just because we had one film mm. full of African Americans and one fo- film full of Asians that was, in, you know, in an Ameri- released wide in America and around the world, it can't just, I really hope it's not just contained to those two films that where they, that is the focus of them. It's got to be in the broader cinematic landscape. That's the thing that's got to come out of this. Yeah. Do you think that the message is there strong enough or is it kind of going to be unfortunately viewed as a niche thing still? Well, I hope not. That's the, that's the thing. I mean, we still, you know, there are exceptions. I mean, we, we, we get action movies with, you know, Denzel just had Equalizer 2 come out. You know, The Rock is leading every second mm, film yeah. that's been made this year. Um, you know, people of color are being represented, but again, it's got to it's got to be a wider spread thing. It's got to be more there's going to be more of it. Mm. Sure. Very good. Now, this next one is probably a bit more of a lengthy news item. It's uh the Michael Cohen story we saw breaking earlier this week and I want to know what you think. I'll read through, I guess, a background for people that haven't been following, and there's quite a bit here, so bear with us. U.S. President Donald Trump's former longtime attorney has been declared guilty of eight crimes, including campaign finance fraud, which stemmed from the hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels and ex-Playboy model Karen McDougal, keeping their disgusting affairs out of the spotlight before Election Day Uh, in October 2016. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cohen used a home equity line of credit to finance $130,000 payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels. And uh, Trump had previously denied knowledge of this payoff. His attorney, Rudolph Giuliani, said Trump didn't know about it at the time. But Cohen has said on Tuesday that Trump repaid him the money for the principal purpose of influencing the election. So the Cohen investigation first burst into the public view in April this year when FBI agents searched his New York office, his home, and his hotel room. And it was after that raid that Giuliani acknowledged the president had reimbursed Cohen for the $130,000 settlement. And Cohen's attorney, Lenny Davis, threw Trump under the bus in his statement just this week, saying that Cohen has stood up and testified under oath that Donald Trump directed him to commit a fraud, sorry, a crime, by making payments to two women for the principal purpose of influencing an election. If those payments were a crime for Michael Cohen, then why wouldn't they be a crime for Donald Trump? What say you, Matt Neal? 
It's a lot. <laughs> one, of the, one of the other pieces that's actually missing out of that is my understanding is that um, they that some of the, some of the money in it or some of the involvement comes from the National Enquirer magazine. So there's right. a me- media company that owns that that was involved in the payments and keeping these stories uh, out of the press at the time as well, which I just find that interesting. Yeah, that- that's a wrinkle I hadn't realized. Mm. Well, <laughs> um, but uh, so. Look, it's it's a lot to unpack because on the face of it, it looks like, well, there's there's everything you need to wander down the path that could potentially lead to an impeachment of a US president. Um, but is that actually going to happen? I, I don't know. And I'm, you know, this whole um, fake news atmosphere that, uh, that Trump has conjured up which mm-hmm. my understanding is that that's one of the slogans that Cambridge Analytica used to just kind of perpetuate the machine that was Trump on his way to an ele- to winning the presidency by just kind of continually spouting fake news, just accuse everyone of lying, of effectively gaslighting the whole of the US of A. You know, how successful is that going to be? C- can, it, can he actually keep that up? Can he keep enough... Uh, you know, there's the midterm elections are coming up mm. soon, which could change the balance of um, of how things are situated in America in in their parliament. It's not called parliament, there, is it though? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if if that is if this kind of stuff has enough influence at the polls, then maybe we can go down that path. But until then, I think he's I think Trump is sort of well enough protected by the Republican Party. Mm. That I don't think impeachment impeachment is necessarily on the horizon yet. No, it it is baffling how many things like this can come out, and still he's just gravy. Like, well, this he is, seems seems untouchable. Well, like, this this, this is, is the one that should should touch him because it, it, it should, but it's it, it's a crime. It? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't I don't know. He just, he does seem just completely impervious to everything. They just bounce off like bullets, like on Superman. Yeah, I just I it's 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 amazing to watch. Hmm. Uh, and I've and seen people say that he hasn't done anything wrong as well I've seen well, people say that yeah and <laughs> I don't know how you can with what I've just read out about him you know reimbursing the payments knowing about them I don't know how you can say that he's innocent in this but so- somehow there's a, a logic that says that he is that I don't understand it's uh, well, it, it, to certain people he can just do no wrong I mean that's hmm. that's the the big thing here I think I saw a, a um, survey today that basically showed that the majority of Trump supporters uh, said they wouldn't care if Trump used the N word, like right. they just he, he could use it all the time, or whatever, and they just it wouldn't change how they thought about him. Now I don't know what that said if that says something about Trump or about his supporters or about the unchangeable status of his supporters' opinions, uh, but it just uh, you know, but that's mm. the kind of thing where he can do no wrong in their eyes. Yeah, I mean when you get elected despite the terrible conversations that were revealed well, that, yeah you know, the, like, the access Hollywood tape I mean yeah. that should have sunk him but it, it, it didn't <laughs> that's yeah one of the most baffling things like especially when it seems like he's really got a strong support from the religious side of, of America like the, the Christian I guess it's the Christian right or whatever but yeah, yeah. I would hope that you know, I've heard, like being Christian myself, I've heard some people say positive things about Trump in, in terms of like some of his policies or maybe, 
you know, his policies versus what Hillary wanted to do, especially around um, pro-choice and pro-life and that kind of thing. But at the same time, they will always have to acknowledge, of course, he's a rubbish human and he does terrible things and, you you know, he's not a good role model. No, well, he's, he, yeah, he's at least a multiple adulterer as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, yeah. I mean, he's, his policies around... You know, uh, whether they're taking children off uh, asylum seekers. I mean, hey, look, Australia's uh, asylum seeker policies are n- nothing to hold up as as mm. any anything great. But um, you know, if you are an American Christian and you're still supporting Trump when he is taking children away from families, when he is uh, sleeping with uh, porn stars and and Playboy bunnies, yeah. I mean, you've got to kind of question about what what are you really supporting here yeah. and how does it sit with your your views as a person would you Absolutely. accept that in your neighbor or your you know your father you know would you accept that um and then so why accept it in your president yeah i think there's a lot of just uh people putting the blinders on and seeing the things they want to see or or telling themselves, you know, all, all politicians are corrupt or all politicians are terrible. It's just like you vote for the one that, that's going to benefit you the most. And that might be the way that they can justify it, separating, you know, those things in their mind. But, I mean, I don't know how you can... I don't. I, I certainly couldn't look at that person and, and be proud of, of voting for them. Well, what's really funny about this too is like we've just had a crazy week in Australian politics, right? Yes. But can you imagine if, for example, let's say Malcolm Turnbull, it came out that his lawyer had committed crimes by mm. paying off, uh, you know, a porn star and a Playboy bunny that he had slept with. Like, he would have been gone in an instant. Like, yeah. there is just no, in Australian politics, that would just have been the end of the yeah. Prime Minister. People getting knifed for, like, losing their positions for far less. Like, I... Like, yeah, yeah. Happens like every week. happens every second week. Like, yeah, a we, prime we, minister gets bumped off, and it's not because of some scandal. It's because their <laughs> their colleagues, uh, you know, think they can do a better job. Well, they just or they just don't like them anymore. Yeah, they're just they're changing leaders like they change their underwear. I mean, it's, he didn't invite me but, to his um, birthday party. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But imagine if it was something full on, like like what is happening with Trump and Cohen and stuff, and 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 Mueller in America. Imagine if you had that in Australian politics. You know, th- these people would be gone in 60 seconds. Like, there's just no two ways about it. Yet, somehow, in America, Trump just hangs on. Not only does he hang on, but he just has this legion of people who th- still think he is God's gift to America. Hmm. It's, it's unfathomable. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's at the point where it's hard to even speak words to, to the insanity that, that it's taking place there. But yeah. we can only try. It's we just, a. <laughs> we used to, I used to love the expression "only in America," but this, that just it doesn't even that doesn't even cover it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so moving on, we could talk about Trump all day, but let's let's not. Yes. Um, <laughs> so our former employer, Fairfax, has uh, recently, in the last few weeks, posted a sixty-three point eight million dollar annual loss, and this is just after weeks after the announcement that they are going to merge with Channel Nine. Uh, in a pretty massive, you know, financial move. Like as far as these kinds of stories go, this is one of the biggest ones that I can remember for a long time. Well, these are two uh, reason- pretty massive players in the Australian media landscape. And yeah, it, it would be like the New York Times, 
like the company that owns the New York Times and like you know NBC or something merging in the US. I don't yeah. I don't know what the equivalents are, but for our American that's listeners, pretty, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's 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 insane. And uh, the reason I bring it up now is because Nine has just posted a twenty seven percent profit jump ahead of the merger, and I wanted to use this. I guess headline as an excuse to talk to you about it, Matt, because as you know, people who once held Fairfax very dear because of our time that we spent there, and I say once because Fairfax is essentially no more; it's changing its name to Nine in part of this merger. Yeah, uh, well, merger, yeah, merger yeah. is not the, quite the right word because it's takeover, right? It is because the Fairfax name is gone, and and mm. Nine uh, will have like fifty one percent controlling interest. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. So, so with that in mind, what's uh, what's your view on what these, I guess, financials represent and what it means for this merger in Australian media in general? Well, if I take my ABC hat off and <laughs> put on my former Fairfax hat, um, I would think that looking... Yeah, I mean... So Fairfax went through some has gone through some pretty massive changes in the last couple mm. of years, huge cutbacks. Um, you know, two and a half Which years. Which we've ago, seen firsthand as well. Yeah, two and a half years ago, the newsroom we worked in had what twenty seven people cut out of it, leaving less than twenty. Mm. So more than more than half of the newsroom got wiped out, and uh, that was after many years of gradual cutbacks. Mm. Saw it go from maybe like even the production team and uh, people working in, in different departments slowly but surely disappearing. Yeah, and then and that's that's so every regional newspaper that Fairfax owned went through that um, and moved towards having like templated newspapers, basically news. The, the journalists just write into a, a news hole now with no sub editors or whatever mm-hmm. to look over it. That's not even counting what happened to the big flagship papers like The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald and, and the uh, Australian Financial Review where they got their uh, editorial stuff decimated as well. So you've got these newspapers on the decline. Um, it's not a great time for newspapers really. And then you've got Channel 9 coming in and, and effectively taking them over. Now, I can't really see... I mean, I, well... Okay, I'll ask you this question, John. What, what do you, what is in this for Channel Nine in buying Fairfax? What is in it for them? I mean, without they've just posted my... a huge loss. Yeah. No, Nine's posted a. a... Yeah, oh, no, sorry, sorry, Fairfax. Yeah, yeah. Fairfax. Yeah. What's in it for Nine taking on a company that's posted a huge loss? Like on the surface, they can take out some of the competition. That's pretty much what I can gather. But my ears not to the ground in the in the news media. Sense. Yeah, but see, nine, I mean, Nine's focus, um, for those who don't know, Channel Nine, it's mostly a TV thing. They've got a, a good online presence as well, but they're prominently hitting in the TV and yeah. online, whereas Fairfax has been uh, largely about newspapers, a little bit of radio. Uh, does Channel Nine have radio? I'm not, I don't think so. No idea. <laughs> no. Um, so they probably own one of the, one of the, the stations. Possibly. So they now complement each other in the sense that they're, uh, Fairfax part of it would give Channel 9 something they didn't have, which is newspapers, which I don't understand why they would really want that in this day and age because it's something that's dying, isn't it? I mean, yeah. print print journalism is on the way out, isn't it? I mean, o- online, people, you know, all these uh, newspapers are struggling to monetize their websites, seeing how paywalls work, online advertising. You know, it's a really tough time to be in newspapers. 
what is Channel 9 getting out of this? The, the only thing I can think of is they get this this massive pool of journalists yeah. out in a lot of regional areas, so outside of the of the metropolitan centres where they are traditionally set up. So that's advantageous, but it's probably too many journalists. So my thought on this is that I would think that the uh, editorial staffs at regional newspapers would be cut again. And the ones who were left would become journos who are also really, you have to be adept at doing TV uh, as well and filing for radio and for newspapers. So you become this kind of all flexible, all medium journalist, which is like what a lot of us are at the ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got people filing for those kind of stories uh, for TV a lot and for tri-weekly or weekly newspapers instead of them being dailies. That's the only kind of thing I can sort of envision. And, and either way, it's not really good for regional newspapers. You're going to have less staff and less newspapers put out and less news produced. And yeah. I don't see that being a good thing. But that's the only kind of possible future outcome I can really see. And it's kind of a concept that's been around for a long time. Like even when I was studying journalism uh, at uni in 2006, media convergence was, a, a, I guess, a buzzword or a term that we had to look at. And that was basically all the different forms of media you know, converging into this thing that you've just described where you have to be able to take a photo, shoot a video, uh, you know, write a story. And it just kind of seems like the next step to that. And I guess even t- like TV reporters are having their copy turned into online news and it's all because of the digital platforms we have now that we're seeing this happen uh, and that we saw it happen as as reporters with Fairfax as well, and you're still doing that with ABC, but do you think that in some ways this is the only way for journalism to survive? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's... And like, and what we were doing when we were both at Fairfax where you, are, you, you, take a, you have to take the photo and you have to write the story and you have to shoot a video, but we're talking about like really low-level stuff. We're like talking like shooting it on your phone. iPhone, yeah. Um, th- this would have to be next level. This is like... This would, and if that's what what it is and what it does, if if suddenly Channel Nine has this great pool of journalists around the country who become ad, really adept at, at TV quality uh, vi- uh, video, um, as well as being you know really capable presenting, writers yeah. and and, all, and yeah and presenting all that kind of stuff, then that that would be a, that would kind of be amazing for uh, on one level. Um, it might not be the best outcome for newspapers, but for Channel Nine, that would put them. Um, on a par with the capabilities of what the ABC does in terms of, of our stuff. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting on one level, and, and, and you're right, it is where journalists have to go to now. Um, I was talking on Twitter with um, one of the ABC's um, Washington correspondents, um, and he, I, you know, he, he'd just written a story about, like, one of the crazy days in America where they'd had, like, this insane... Any any one of the the four stories he'd covered in a really short amount of time would be the lead story for the day, but four of them yeah. had broken in a short amount of time. Um, and the, his response was basically he posted a meme, a gif of um, like SpongeBob doing a hundred things at once, and yeah. he's like filing to all platforms, like, and then the, his SpongeBob just arms waving furiously, and you know that's that's what it's kind of like. He's got to do pieces for 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 TV, for radio, write them up for online in a really short t- space of time. And it's a really, to do that at top level is really, really difficult. And that's where 
it's probably going to have to go for regional reporters hmm. from Fairfax under the new nine regime, I think, for them to be worth Channel 9 keeping on. Otherwise, if you can't keep up, if you can't do that top-level TV stuff, then where, you know, I don't know there's much place for them in that landscape. Yeah. And doing all those things to a high level is basically impossible. <laughs> like- well, it's, it is possible, but it's it takes a crazy level of skill and time management skills. Yeah. But is, isn't it inevitable that the quality will suffer in some area? Like we've seen, I guess, with the push for news to get the story first and all that kind of thing, you see the quality of, yeah. of certain newspapers drop and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, get it first, not get it right is yeah. one of the things, one of the maxims I've heard. Well, so, I mean, it's... um. The ABC maintains a really high level of quality because they still have people checking things and they have people dedicated to um, who can put together footage. Um, it doesn't, you know, they have people reading stories and they have people checking things and uh, putting together, to, you know, who are specializing in, ed- in video editing and, and stuff like that so that the onus doesn't fall so much entirely on the reporter um, and that there are gateways before things get published and things get checked and that's what's important and that's what you need if you're going to have that because people make mistakes and yeah, yeah it's it's tough to be skilled on all those levels so yeah you need to have that barrier between you and publication so that's i mean the the that barrier is usually the first thing that gets cut that's what fairfax just lost two yeah. and a half years ago when they just got rid of all the sub editors so that's what's got a I think that barrier is really important and that's what Channel 9 hopefully will, will understand um, moving forward. Yeah, and I guess bringing paywalls in at the same time or at a similar time is another kind of barrier for those publications to serve the readers that, well, in, well, a, in a way that they're used to and a way that they like to, to receive their news. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's the other thing that's really changing here in the media landscape is um, people understanding they have to pay for stuff that they can't just get stuff for free anymore um, because the advertising revenue isn't there and that's because people are using Facebook and, and whatever else um, ads just don't quite work as well they're not they're not as concentrated in newspaper or on TV or radio so people are gonna have to start understanding and I mean I'm about to we're about to witness this uh, really close up where I am because the paper that we used to work for, Jono, is mm-hmm. about to put a paywall in less than a month's time, I think. Digital package? What are they calling it? They, call, they called them online subscriptions was right. the word they used in the article. They never said the word paywall anywhere in the article. They said they were online subscriptions. No so, mention of dollar cost or... No, no. nothing like that. Um, uh, classic. <laughs> which was a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit weasel word employment there, I think. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in terms of you know drop offs of, of online traffic, mm. uh, and what it, what it does to circulation for the physical paper. I mean, uh, a couple of the, a couple of the uh, other Fairfax papers have already put up paywalls immediately when that happened. Uh, Facebook group started up where people just copy and paste the article and, and paste into a Facebook group, and that, yep. that's that's horrible. That's not what this is about. This is and about that can't people... even be stopped, really. No, I don't know how difficult that would be to stop. But this should be about valuing hmm. the news you get, and 
not finding ways to work around it, but having a, a discussion with yourself to go, well, how much do I value being informed and am I willing to pay for it? And the answer should be, well, yes, you should be willing to pay for it. That's really what it, it should come down to. Mm-hmm. But people have just had it cheap for so long that it's going to take a little while for that to turn. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like, and maybe it's just where I'm at in life, but I feel like that thing in the 2000s and late 90s of like, I can get my music for free. I just hit up Napster, LimeWire, whatever it is and download everything. Like yeah. I feel like that's gone away where people now value like paying artists for music or at least using Spotify where they get something out of it. And I've, Which is I've, not much, but something. Yeah, yeah, but it's something and it's it's not, you know, it's it's legal, you know, and it's, yeah. it's justified. So I feel like there was a swing there where people went, hmm, maybe now that it's actually, you can't use the excuse that it's just easier to download it than go to the shop and buy a CD. Like that. It's now actually in, in, harder. It's now harder to pirate it. Yeah. Than, than it is to just is. get it on uh, yeah, Spotify. You're right. uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that at least in my circles, that's flipped around. And hopefully we can see the same thing where people realize that, you know, that was bad for the music industry in a lot of ways. And this that people will be doing with paywalls is bad for the news industry and that we will ultimately suffer because we won't get the quality journalism that we want or that we're used to. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, so what what you're talking about there is maybe like a 10-year kind of turnaround, really. Yeah. That's, Might be too late. <laughs> well, or maybe that's we're going to have to wait 10 years for that to sort of track with with news i guess but i mean but it's, it's an interesting point and it's i've i've i, I never pirated music i'm proud to yes, say it. I'm never, i know uh, cd collection over here yeah and i've <laughs> how never, many cds you got thousand i did a cult recently but it's still up there <laughs> um and i've never pirated a film either that's because you get to watch free movies man yeah okay fair enough all right <laughs> so there's a moot point but um i started getting to the point now where i'm trying to kick back to and this is where things like Patreon and, and mm. you know, Kickstarters and stuff come in. Um, where I'm starting to look at the things that I'm valuing as content um, and I'm getting for nothing and looking at ways I can then yeah. put back into it. So, yeah, people know, are going out of their way to pay for stuff that, that's free. <laughs> yeah, good. yeah. So, um, you know, like there's there's a podcast I'm going to go to. I've, I've paid for a ticket to go to a live podcast recording because I really oh, cool. enjoy that podcast. And I want to give back in some small way because I've listened to, a, you know, like 100 episodes for nothing. Um, or, you know, there's a, a sports writer who uh, writes about AFL who I really like because he writes hilariously. So, you know, uh, I probably could have kicked into his Patreon or something, but instead I just bought his book when it came out. Um, so, you know, things like that, I'm starting to thinking about where, what I'm getting for nothing and then how I can actually kick back into it. And that's what people are going to have to do with news, I think. Mm. Interesting. Okay, moving on. Speaking of uh, films and pirates, I yes. Guess. <laughs> Is there any pirates of the Caribbean film? Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, Kevin Spacey had a bad weekend, and uh, I want to talk about a, it. I think he's had a bad uh, <laughs> ten months. Yeah, ten months. Is it been that long? I don't I know. I think the, the allegations. I think I saw somewhere that they came out in October, which yeah, I didn't think it was that long ago. But yeah, well, time flies when you're. Kevin Spacey. Uh, so bet, this two-time Oscar, <laughs> two-time Oscar winner's latest film has flopped big time at the box office, which uh, hit just a handful of US movie theaters, taking only $618 in its opening three-day weekend, which apparently works out to about six people per cinema on average. 
Mm. The movie's Billionaire Boys Club. It's a crime drama based on a true story. And The Hollywood Reporter is saying it made a baffling $126 on its opening day, which I was very pleased to point out is less than my book and probably your book on the, our opening days. So. De- definitely your book, probably not my book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so a small part of that reason. It could be that this movie already hit video on demand like a month ago, but it's, I think it's fair to say moviegoers have had a pretty bad taste in their mouth over the disgraced actor's sexual harassment allegations from more than a dozen men. Matt, is this surprising and can we expect more cases like this as the hashtag MeToo movement rolls on or are the circumstances around him somehow unique? Yeah, I think th- this is this is a strange one. There's a bit more to this story and, and you, you mentioned part of it. So, it had already been out on video on demand for two months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, it's, uh, it's international box, fo- uh, box office take is uh, $1.2 million dollars. International, Which, yes. So right. that's that's been a little left out of it because the six hundred dollar figure, or the one hundred twenty six dollars, um, is a better headline. But it has made over a million dollars. Yeah, and I think uh, the, like we're talking Hollywood Reporter here. A lot of the times, they only seem to care about US, you know. And I, I saw recently, like the um, uh, the Eagles' best of or greatest hits oh, has yeah. replaced yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson as the highest selling album in America. They weren't talking about international. They just wanted to talk about how well it's done in the US. Yeah. So I guess it's that US centric thing, which is fair enough. Yeah. Yes. And and you know that's I guess that's where all this sort of lives. So that that's that's fine. Um. But it's but you know there's a bigger story here. It's it's made a million bucks. Uh. It probably cost a lot more than that. It still qualifies probably. as a flop. <laughs> how much but, do you think they paid him? Well, at the time, and so and this is the other part of this thing. This film was made in 2015. So it's been languishing on shelves for, you know, before even this stuff came out about Kevin Spacey. So it's got the other stars in it are Ansel Elgort, who's the lead in Baby Driver, and Taron Egerton, who's the star of the Kingsman films. So there's these are two guys who have their own profile as well. So you're talking about a film that's got these two guys in it and Kevin Spacey. And it was made in 2015 and it sat on the shelf for two years. Now, that just smacks of it being not very good, which mm. on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 10% at the moment. Right. Um, so, so, do you think if this movie was good, we'd be hearing a completely different story? Somewhat, like a Baby Driver somewhat. level movie? Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, this, this is the thing. Think about this. If, if these allegations about Kevin Spacey had come out before Baby Driver came out, okay. Now, that's a genuinely yeah. good film, really highly reviewed. Um Oscar nominations. Yeah, what would that have done to Baby Driver? Would would that would that have only been released in ten cinemas and made one hundred twenty six dollars on its opening week? <laughs> no, probably not. And no. Kevin Spacey had a really major role in that. So what we're talking about here is a bad film that sat on shelves for a long time, was only released to ten cinemas in America, has made a million dollars internationally, and has already been on video on demand for two months. So. So it's a beat up. <laughs> it's a it's a it's selective reporting, I think. It is, yeah. Is will the Me Too movement have impact on films and on actors' careers? Absolutely. Is this the prime example of that? Not quite. I, I so I think there's a bigger bigger story here. I, I mean, don't you what, think that the fact that it was released to ten theaters is because of the Me Too movement, though? Well, my question is, why was it released in cinemas at all? 
<laughs> if it's but if it's already been out on video on demand, then what's the point of this? There's and a I story behind s- that though. Well, like, yeah, and a um, certain status that you get from release, like we were talking about the director DVD thing, like video on demand is director DVD essentially. Effectively, and, yeah. And if you, you know, if that's sitting in your filmography as a direct to to DVD or or video on demand, it's a kind of a, I guess it's a, probably a sour point or a sticking point for for the people that put a lot of work into it well and that's the company that put it out said that you know they've put it out because it's not this isn't just about kevin spacey there's hundreds of people who worked on this film starred in this film produced it absolutely you know this is their their work their art so imagine their (laughs) like obviously the revelations about him go deep and, and wide into the people that he's affected but can you imagine being someone that's worked on a film with him or about to work on a film with him and you've been excited to act alongside kevin spacey or direct kevin spacey and then this comes out and you're like crap mm, yeah. there, there, there goes that movie or there goes any chance of you know oscar bars or any yeah. of the things that you were looking forward to yeah it's i mean and I mean, there's so there's so much to this in in that sense that, and that's why it was nice to see what that House of Cards kind of went. Well, this this show is bigger than that one guy, so we're mm-hmm. going to carry this on without that one guy because this is the livelihood and creative output of so many other people beyond this one person who's had these horrible allegations made against him. So, I mean, we uh, I think we're yet to see the full impact of what the Me Too movement will have on people's careers in a, in a, in a purely box office sense. Sure. But w- w- one of the interesting things about this, which is, the, is, the, is that question of why it was at, why was it released at the cinema? Now, I did see someone point out that maybe there was something contractual in the creation of the film that it just had to yeah. go into the I'm sure into there's cinemas. a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that we would have no idea about that influences yeah. that kind of thing. But there's, there's only two possible scenarios here. One is that it was legally obliged to release in at least 10 cinemas, and that's why this has happened. And the other is that some idiot producer has gone, <laughs> well, I'm going to just play the whole any publicity is good publicity thing yeah. and just put it out, you know, and, and they did and it didn't work. Because otherwise I don't understand why this has come out at cinemas after already being on video demand. I mean, does your curiosity grow knowing that it made one hundred and twenty-six dollars in one day? Like, are you like, is this? Are you, is any part of you as a critic like, I want to see how bad it is? Is it actually bad, or is it just the backlash? Like, I'm sure there's some people out there that will see it just to answer that question. Okay, well, here's my hot take, and Let's this might this might not be popular, but I I'm a big believer in separating the art from the person. Mm-hmm. So, if there was theoretically a good Kevin Spacey film that just came out, uh, I would probably go and see it because, as an actor, he's good. As a person, he might be horrible uh, if these allegations are true. But as an actor, I mean, I'm not going to go and throw my copy of Seven and the, the Usual Suspects in yep. the bin. Um, I would if 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 this film was getting rave reviews, I would want to I would want to see it. Um, you know, I, we're starting to hear some horrible things about Johnny Depp. Um, but that doesn't mean that his acting it still isn't 
great. I mean, it's the same reason that I can listen to, you know, a John Lennon song and ignore the fact that he used to beat his wife. I mean, you know, like things like that. Um, I think, yeah, that's, it's not, you know, it's not a, I'm not the first person to say this, but separating the, no. uh, the artist from the art, I think does, uh, you know, I would, if the film, if this Billionaire's Boys Club was, was good, I'd probably check it out. Yeah, and I think that for some people they wouldn't be able to watch it and not think about the things yeah. that they've been accused of, and, and that's fine. You wouldn't blame anyone for doing that, but I guess if if you're able to switch that off somehow, then yeah, I guess then that's that's up to you to, to yeah. decide. The, the the fact is that a lot of artists and the people who created art, a lot of those people were, if not assholes, they've done some terrible things. Yeah, and I think we either consciously or sub or unconsciously ignore stuff for the sake of you know getting some enjoyment from art a lot of the time so yeah but i'm i'm, prob- I'm probably not going to go and watch bill and Hair boys club though. <laughs> <laughs> the main topic and we've somehow gone 55 minutes without talking about it at length but it's the main event here it's the lib spill the two words that make a journalist shudder or probably all of Australia, really. <laughs> so con- congrats to Scott Morrison. We now have a new prime minister for the sixth time in eight years, spanning just three federal elections. The spill started three days ago on August 21. Rumours were running wild of Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton contesting the leadership of the Australian Prime Minister at that time, Malcolm Turnbull, despite Dutton pledging his support just three days earlier. Turnbull called a surprise vote and Dutton rose as a challenger, but was swiftly defeated 48 votes to 35 and in the aftermath vacated his ministerial position and left behind a very divided Liberal Party. But that wasn't enough. And just like Rocky II, the number one contender came back for another go at the champ this time after rallying some more friends to back him up. After three days of wildfire speculation and Twitter memes, a second vote was called. Turnbull lost his leadership and the treasurer, Scott Morrison, was selected as the new prime minister by the same margin, which leaves me with many questions for you, Matt. What does this mean for the upcoming elections, both uh, state and federal? Why can't we elect a government with a leader who's capable of maintaining support from his own people? And is this just something we can expect to happen every couple of years? (laughs) Those are all very good questions. <laughs> and uh, what the heck is the other one? What the heck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, this is, it was kind of like watching a car crash, but when, just mm. when you thought the car had finished crashing, it just rolled down the hill some more yeah. and, then, and then exploded, you know. Um, it, it's like that scene in uh, in Hot Rod where he's like bouncing down the hill. <laughs> the, I, I mean, everyone, uh, Scott Morrison in this has pretty much pulled a Stephen Bradbury, which if you're not familiar yeah. with Stephen Bradbury, you need to Google that, but- um, oh, he, he's kind of, he's kind of come out of this smelling like roses cause he's inadvertently managed to <laughs> take the leadership without challenging for it really. Mm. You know, it was all, and, and, and a lot of this, I mean, what does this mean for the future of the liberal party is the big, is the big question. Um, there's still obviously a party really divided because, you know, the vote for Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton was like 45 to 40. Mm. Um, Peter Dutton is very much part of the, the conservative right uh of the liberal party and uh, we should point out to our american listeners that this is liberal party is not liberal with a small l this is liberal with a big l which has nothing to do with the liberal with a small l in australian politics they're the conservative 
Yeah. It's interesting, like, it's just backfired on that part of the party completely because, you know, they were out to give Turnbull the boot so that he could, so that they could steer the party in a direction that they wanted, but they've pretty much just been rejected twice and there's just a different person heading up the the same party line, I guess, is what Turnbull was, was bound to do. Yeah, and, and Turnbull had a very tricky job where he was trying to balance the the centre-right and the, the far-right of the Liberal Party. And this challenge came from the far-right, sort of the ultra-conservative part of the party, and uh, which was led by Peter Dutton. And it, it all springboarded off um, the National Energy Guarantee, which they were uh, arguing about internally. And a lot of that stemmed from the, the, uh, a significant part of the party, uh, of the, that conservative, really conservative part of the party, didn't even believe don't believe in climate change and so that that was a trigger um for this uh this spill to happen so what you've you know even though turnbull who was supposedly the peacemaker in the party is now gone scott morrison is going to have to do that same same job Mm. and find this level playing field between the conservative right and the other side so nothing 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 has really changed there yeah Except that we, well, yeah, nothing has changed there, but a lot has changed in the way that people view this party in general. And I think, you know, it comes back to the old expression. I think, I think, Jesus, uh, my friend Jesus is, is the uh, person that first said it. But every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And this is very much a house that's divided against itself in almost every way. Uh, and if people within a team or a government can't even, you know, get along and, and and support their leader, why would anyone vote for that party? Like that's, it just seems like it sends all the wrong messages to a country that's about to vote for its leaders in, in upcoming months, I think. Yeah, and Australia has a really bad record of this, but there have been cases where uh, a party has knifed their leader and then still won at an election. Paul Keating... Uh, knife Bob Hawke and still won an election. Uh, Julie Gillard Julia, got, r- yeah. got rid of K Rudd and um, won an election, but then K Rudd knifed her back and uh, then he <laughs> lost an election. So it goes and both I, I ways. Guess Turnbull did the same thing with Abbott, right? He won he, after he, just Yeah, after he that. knifed Abbott and then managed to win an election. Does this feel different from those times? I feel like people are a lot more critical now because I think it was. I don't know. I, f- I feel like those politicians that were getting booted at those points were very out of favor with kind of everyone when it happened. Mm, like I remember... Maybe. When- yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to gauge that sort of thing. If it, it feels like... Well, it's been, it's been different. I mean, um, I feel like Kevin Rudd was still kind of somewhat liked before Julia Gillard... Uh, knifed him. It just Kevin Rudd just wasn't liked in his own party, hmm. um, and that seems to be somewhat the case here. I think Malcolm Turnbull's popularity was was slipping, um, but I don't, I don't know if it was totally. I mean, he'd lost thirty um, polls in a row or something. Um, so, by comparison against Labor, hmm. uh, yeah. Look, I don't know. Do, do people? How much? Everyone was really annoyed while this was going on, but by the time an election rolls around, I think people have really short memories politically. Yeah, that might be the case. I mean, but I think, yeah. Do, do you think it's a, a thing 
amongst the the people involved of like we want this so that we have our best chance going into the next election or do you think that it's purely selfish and driven by personal pursuits well it's those those are both those things are the same thing you know who is going to win us an election is more about well who's going to help me keep my job if you're a politician but someone's saying like i want to be prime minister because i like being in charge that's that's different from saying like i'm the best person to lead this country to a bright new future i don't know what politician actually thinks like that i mean (laughs) i think any idealism that we had in politics has has been dead you know shot in the head and buried in the backyard a long time ago it's you know these these are people who have a job to do they don't have an easy job to do but they're not Mm. making it any easier on themselves by doing this kind of stuff i think because the people who are politically switched on won't view it ideally i i don't they won't think it's the best thing you know it's what's going to be interesting to see how it affects um uh state elections with the coming up because victoria's got one in november Mm -hmm. is there one in new south wales as well soon i think i can't remember but i mean we're still probably at least a year or so away from a federal election which a year's a long time in politics a week felt like forever right (laughs) But, Especially uh, when things were changing so quickly. Yeah. If anything, I think that the Victorian Liberal Party, uh, Matthew Guy, who are currently in opposition, I think they would probably just feel like they've been handed a millstone to hang around mm. their neck in the lead up because they've only got that election is only like three months away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a quote from Turnbull after the first spill happened and i think it you know for for all the criticism he's had and things that he maybe hasn't done a great job of he i I think that it's it's really um hits the nail on the head he said people don't like it when politicians are focused on ourselves or talking about each other he's he said a government should concentrate on policies that help regular people Mm. and from that perspective i think it's such a bad look for this party to spend an entire week fighting over who's who's going to wear the big pants or who's going to get the last um piece of chicken at the table because it it put everything that the, is their job is to you know do things that benefit their people their constituents like it put all that stuff on the back burner who knows what policy work got done this week like i don't know like what I think none. What, I think the, yeah, the answer was exactly. none. Yeah. yeah. And even if there was, like how distracted have they been? I think it, like the distraction was enough that I think even the state um, the state parliament was like, well, what are we really going to get done this week? So, yeah, I think that I'm glad that it's over. Hopefully Scott Morrison does a good job. Um, I know that he's got his fair share of critics. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's ridiculous. And we have a couple of listener questions here. Just uh, one, one yeah, thing sorry, before we get to those, but just talking about T- Turnbull. Um, I think he handled himself pretty well through all of this, even in the midst of the just insane you know, shenanigans that were going on. He still held a press conference to try and talk mm-hmm. about um, what they were going to do with their corporate tax policy and how they were shelving that idea. So they were still trying to talk about, he was still trying to talk about yeah. 
actual politics. And that might have just been a deflection thing, trying to destroy, like, you know, hey, look over here what this hand's doing while the other one's trying to push <laughs> knives away from my back. But he was still trying to get on with politics. And he made some yeah. very pointed comments about, like, well, okay, if, when the second spill came around, he was saying, if, if this is successful, I will walk away from politics Mm. Um, because you shouldn't have an ex an ex prime minister sitting yeah, out the yeah. back, which is a very pointed <laughs> statement at Tony Abbott, who is yeah, possibly behind a lot of this. Yeah. Um, so he's I been think, very critical or very supportive of Dutton, at least. It, well, yeah, and some people think he was b- pretty much behind pushing Dutton. I know Amanda Vanstone, who's a former Liberal senator, um, was talking on ABC and said, "This is." She just pointed a finger at Abbott. She said, "All of mm. this is Abbott's doing." Um, so Turnbull, at least, I think. You know, held his head reasonably high coming out of this. It's, it's probably no great loss to him. He he was prime minister for a bit, but he's going to walk into a, a some you know high paying job in oh. something. He, I don't know. He doesn't you even know. need to work. Like yeah. he didn't need to work before he was running. Uh, you know, no running um, for he prime was, minister. Was so. he a, a lawyer? I think originally, or I thought he had mining money or something. But I don't know. Banking. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. He, something. He, yeah. he, he was but, rich. But, that was um, one of the things that they said about him. One of the things that this does is when he, if he walks, uh, it triggers a by-election. Now, the Liberals in that house, I can't remember which one it is, they have a majority of one. So, right. potentially, uh, now... Fairly ter- marginal. Yeah. So, um, if Turnbull, if there's a by-election in his seat, which is apparently a very strong Liberal seat, so it's not really going to be a thing, I don't think, but it could potentially mean that the Liberals could lose power via a by-election, which is unheard of, but... That would be very interesting. But the other thing too is that worth noting is that Peter Dutton's seat, should he have become Prime Minister, his seat is really marginal in Queensland, the seat of Dixon. He holds it by like 1.6% or something. Hmm. He, what happens in his seat at the next federal election would be very interesting. You know, has this just boosted his profile or is it enough for people to go, uh, nah, screw that guy. Yeah. So that'll be one to watch. Do you think he looks like Carl Pilkington? Um, yeah, a little bit. I kind of can see that. Yeah. Like an angrier. Yeah. It's like a, somehow, he's like the. Like, like an angrier, angrier, more ruthless <laughs> Carl Pilkington. Or so, you know, yeah. something sterner in his face. Yeah. Yeah. A, a bit more going on inside his head, maybe. There's a lot going on in, in Carl Pilkington's <laughs> head. But I don't know that any of it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have some questions on this topic from two listeners, two actual former guests on this show. Ashley Hobley says, "Will we ever see a PM serve a full term again?" Actually, that that, that question came from both him and uh, our friend over in the US, Logan Wilkinson. He had the same question for that. Another former guest. I uh, I'd like to say yes, but history suggests no, doesn't it? Mm. What, what did you say before? We've had six in six eight in eight years. years yeah. Across it's, three, it's cha- I think it's changed six times across because Rudd came back, yeah, yeah, and that's in only three across, elections, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I can't like, see. I can't see the Liberals. If the Liberals hold power, I can't see that. I can't see Scott Morrison mm. holding power in a party so divided. Yeah, you know because the because the the right the far right side of that pa- of that party is. It seems to be so strong and so vocal, and I, I can't I can't see that working. I feel like there's a splinter that has to happen in that group before any kind of before too long, right? So uh, until that happens, I don't think you're going to see it in the Liberal Party. In the Labor Party, 
I don't know. They have been... They've got their own history with this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's really hard to tell. I don't... Yeah, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. I <laughs> 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 guess. It's like... Uh, it's like taking the spread <laughs> yeah yeah what do, what do you think i mean do, do do you think that either of these parties could have somebody who stands for a whole term like i guess bill short i don't know i'm not i'm more of a state politics follower than federal but uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me i guess like as much as this is ridiculous and it's kind of baffling that, that they can't find someone that they'll stand behind for a full term the part that, that I find really crazy is that there's just a complete lack of charismatic, you know, competent leaders or people, even just people within the party willing to step up and be the leader. Like where are the people that motivate people, inspire people to believe in, you know, what a government can accomplish? I just wish that there was someone like that, you know. Where's our Obama? For, for all the criticisms of Obama... I've always just wanted someone that has his charisma and someone that has what he was able to to inspire in people, regardless of you know it's there's a lot of revisionist history about him that and his failures and that kind of thing. So you know I'm not saying he was a perfect politician by any stretch, but like at least just from a personality perspective, where are the likable people in these positions? Yeah, and to be honest, I thought Turnbull was was that kind of person. I felt like he was he, the closest that we've yeah, had for a long time. Yeah. He he was like like a statesman. I think is the is the word mm. that would I think would sum that up. He and I think if he had either been if he had either been in the Labor Party, uh, which is where As he lot, usually tried to. <laughs> well, yeah, and a lot of his his way of thinking seems to align with that side of politics. If he'd been either in Labor or in a a liberal party that was less fractured or had less mm. of that far right element in it, I think he could have been that person, um, and he could have actually been a leader rather than just someone frantically trying to hold his party together. Um, I think Gillard was that kind of a leader. I think she had person. I know she was really, really hated, but she managed she to get wasn't, through. She wasn't cool though. <laughs> no, but I think she had um, a, some. She must have had something because she was leading a party that was basically hanging on by the skin of its teeth to leadership with crossbench deals and the like. She got through more pieces of policy and legislation than any politician in the last, I think, 20 years or 30 years. Mm. So in a really divided parliament and just hanging on by the skin of your teeth kind of parliament, she got far more accomplished than anyone who actually had free reign. That's that's really impressive, and that speaks to something about her. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we do we have that in state politics? I mean, Daniel Andrews doesn't seem like that quite like that no. charismatic kind of guy. I think Matthew I mean, Guy is close to that. He's, yeah, he, he, to he, me at least, he's a bit more likable and younger, and you know. And it, when you hear him speak, he it feels like if if he was honing in on the, on the right kind of platform, he he could lead mm. people, like he could inspire people. Um, you know, some people found found John Howard really inspiring, and he did a lot of really good things. He did yeah. a lot of really horrible things, but um, he maybe in his early days had that kind of statesman quality as well. Uh, and Paul Keating as well is one. Uh, you know, both sides have had them. Do we have them in Bill Shorten and Scott Morrison at the moment? 
I don't know. That's and <laughs> maybe that's what is yet to be seen. Um, so I don't know. But can I just yeah, point out that um, Scott Morrison, nicknamed ScoMo, uh, which was which was <laughs> which was great. trending on Twitter, but I think that makes him um, Prime Eye ScoMo is what I'm going for. <laughs> anyway, Prime Eye, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. And there's a there's a really cool graphic getting around. <laughs> Sorry, go on. There's a cool graphic getting around that shows like. In 30 years, we had five prime ministers. And then, like, in the last eight years, we've had six <laughs> changes. It's it's crazy. And the only time in Australian history we've had more prime ministers in a short amount of time is immediately after Federation in 1900. Mm. Or 1901. When do we have Federation? 1901. 1901. Yeah, there we go. So Button. <laughs> yeah. So, that yeah. was... Uh, that we had more prime ministers in a short amount of time, but it was only because we were just getting the hang of it. Yeah. Just getting our feet under the desk. Yep. Yeah. So that the second question from Drew Agnew in South Australia, he says, if Morrison wins the next election, how long and who will take his place after two years? <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion. Edwards, yeah. Um, I, I imagine that um, Sportsbet and William Hill, Hill would give you some pretty good odds on these kind of questions. Like this, surely, that I mean, as soon as the spill talk started happening, they were offering odds on who's going to be prime minister really quick. Mm. Like, I imagine that they've got some kind of money on, yeah, who's going to take over and who's going to knife ScoMo if he wins. Um, I know it's not going to be Julie Bishop because the, the the hot word is that she is going to not stand at the next election. She's done. She'll just, she'll walk away, which is a shame. I think she might have been, an, she would have been an interesting prime minister. She seems to have a, a, a greater sort of force of personality mm. than someone like ScoMo. Um, yeah, she's got a good sense of humor too. Yeah, that's what I look for. <laughs> well, yeah, and, I mean, and she's been, um, you know, the foreign minister for a long time, and that yeah, takes a certain qualified. level of of diplomacy and intelligence that you know would be useful for a prime minister. Sure. I would think. <laughs> so, do you think it would be Dutton if someone was to to knife Morrison? Um, Round three. My money's on Matthias Corman. Oh yeah, I I think he could be Alan Jones's friend. <laughs> well, I think he has. The, uh, I mean, his his Austrian accent is he Austrian? I think he's Austrian, isn't he? I don't know. His his accent probably would turn off a lot of Australians who are like bloody foreigners kind of thing. But <laughs> I, but he he comes across really well. Um, he's been the uh, he's been finance minister, I think, and he—I don't know. There's—I think he has that that kind of personality that could that could be a, a next leader of the Liberal Party. Uh, yeah, there you go, Matthias Corman. That's my hot tip. Sure, you heard it here first. <laughs> sure, someone cool. else has said that. Well, that's the the news for the week. We got through it. Cool. Uh, where where can people find you if they want to get more of your hot takes and and <laughs> quality journalism over at uh, ABC Southwest and and see my uh, hot tweets like Prime Ice Gomo. I tweeted that yeah. the other day and no one <laughs> no one touched it with a twenty foot. I'll pole. go I'll go find that. Yeah, give cool. it a like. Um, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, Doctor Matt Neal is my handle. Uh, Neal is N E A L. Matt with two T's. Um, I have a. If you want to read my movie reviews, I have a blog called Movies Ate My Life. I've been writing a lot of stuff for the ABC News national website, so you can find stuff there. I've been writing about everything from wombat murals to lead in our water. So, big wide (laughs) range of stuff there. 
Uh, uh, that Wombat mural thing went nuts, the video. That Yeah, that has had like over in excess of 20 million views now. That's wow. just insane. If you haven't seen that, just, you know, Google Wombat, Wombat mural, mural and, and yeah. watch the reenactment. It's fantastic. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a great piece of, um, yeah. of video editing from Emily Bisslin. She did an amazing job with that. Mm. Um, yeah, so you can, yeah, I'm on ABC Southwest Vic Facebook page or Twitter or, yeah, read my movie yeah. reviews. And check out, out the movie somewhere. reviews. Check out the movie reviews because Matt is my go-to movie critic. I'm a big fan of, of your work. I mean, oh, I, I spent many years. I spent many years <laughs> editing it, so uh, I feel like it. Uh, I'm very familiar with the way that you, the way that you view these things. Uh, it's like when you find someone that you know where they're coming from. It helps it so much more to know whether to trust them or how much to trust them, even if you don't trust them 100. percent It's like, <laughs> it's like okay, it's a, it's a Marvel movie, so maybe take off one star. Oh what, come on, <laughs> trust is the wrong word. I think the word you look for is agree. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, a, I, I I endorse you. Thank you. And that's... of course, uh, Bay of Martyrs. That's the crime fiction novel that you've put out uh, with Tony Black. It's on Amazon, is it? Yeah, it's out there somewhere. You, it's, it's out there. Where the money for that goes now, I don't know because my publisher's gone bust, but, you know, sure. Yeah. Just read it. Just it's read good. it. It's good. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Jono himself. Uh, my podcast in the 8-Bit Collective is putting in work. Uh, I just had Shay Serrano from The uh, Ringer on there, and I've got some great interviews coming up, so don't miss those. And, uh, of course, you can find all of the excellent podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective over at 8bit.net. That's A-T-E. B-I-T don't and buy Jono's book Jono's got a book people <laughs> it's called Spy and the Maven it's really yeah. good he's working on another one I can't wait to read it because oh, I, I, I told you heaps of stuff you should put in it <laughs> we'll but, see what makes it in there yeah probably none of it but uh, you should check it out it's a good book so buy that thank you look at ourselves just patting each other on the back yeah <laughs> until, until next week it is what it is <laughs> <laughs>